watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, it's Fart Week here at the Binge <laughs> Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. I am your BFG, your big faggy giant, Jason Leroy. And I'm your wiener dog, Rebecca Olarte. <laughs> and today we're going to be doing four movies, uh, The BFG, Swiss Army Man, Wiener Dog, and The Legend of Tarzan. And just like every week, we're going to rate these on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life's too short for that mess. Indeed. A lot of movies this week, Jason. Four. four it's, a, it's a 4G fart week on The Binge, guys. It is. Settle um, in. Why is it so farty? Because not one but two of our movies are very farty this week, Rebecca. Yes. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, In the meantime, what's going on with you? Well, thank you for asking. This past weekend was Pride here in San Francisco, which Mm. already feels very long ago, um, I think. When I was trying to think what my what's up with me would be, I was like, well, nothing's been happening, really. And I realized last weekend was Pride. Um, But... If you're picturing me celebrating Pride in any kind of like running around with like boys in like short shorts kind of way, you're picturing the wrong thing because I did not even go to Pride this year, guys. Mm. I had my own Pride, my own lesbian Pride. Thank you very much. Saturday, I went up to the Mountain Winery in Saratoga, or down as the case may be, to see Case Lang Aviers, the supergroup consisting of Nico Case, Katie Lang, and Laura Veers. It was just a magical lesbian night. Uh, at one point, Katie Lang literally led a conga line of old lesbians through the crowd. Wow. I do not exaggerate. It's like it was your birthday. It really was. It was just, it was some kind of heaven. There was a lot of tension in the audience um, among what? like with the different factions of who was there for whom. We were with our friends Judy and Sarah Jo, who were actually acquainted with Nico and were there to see her at her invitation. And at one Ooh. point, um, this lesbian who looked like a leathery Tignataro. Um, approached Judy and Sarah Joe and started like accosting them, being like, Oh, Amy. It's like, they're like, No, that's not who we are. And she's like, Oh, sorry, I thought I knew you guys from somewhere else, but I mean, you're here for KD, right? And Judy was like, Actually, no, we're, we're really big Nico Case fans. And Leathery Tignataro just threw her hands and went, you, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And just turned and just walked away. What? So tensions were running high. Wow. And I was in heaven. <laughs> so it was I mean, drama? Lesbian drama about lesbian musicians could not have been happier. That's amazing. So uh, so happy pride to me. How was the show? The show was great. Um, it's a great venue. Um, their banter is very funny. Mm. Um, Katie Lang is basically just sort of like, she just carries on like she's like drunk daddy. And um, and like Laura and, and Nico were like her like young cool hip daughters who were like dad and she's like well, what would I do sorry hey guys what's up conga uh, line so it's it's a very funny dynamic they have and Nico overcame the fact that she could actually see the audience when they started because it's an outdoor outdoor venue oh right and the sun had not yet set so that's the first thing she said when she walked out was I can see you <laughs> she didn't like that. But it was a great show and a fine, fine pride. Rebecca, what's up with you? Um, well, I had gone to the Mountain Winery a, a little bit ago to go see Lauren Hill. Oh, um, right. And it was that one incident. of those shows, yeah, where she notoriously yeah. starts late. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem there is, so when you said go up, go down, it's down, it's south of where we are, but it's up on this mountain. Mm-hmm. So um, they have very strict regulations about stopping at 11 because yes. the sound carries over all of like the surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. And so they cut her off like mid... Um, 
um, second song. Doo-wop, I think. <laughs> right. It but was like, like mid song. Yeah. Yeah. She was like two songs in. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was very disappointing. Yeah. Very disappointing. Um, hard to hard to blame her at the time, but in retrospect, it was her fault. It was her fault. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but this week was uh, pretty chill. I didn't go to Pride either. I went to Santa Cruz <laughs> with my wife, and we uh, got an Airbnb and went to this like really great spa place. Uh, we went we to the bougie. mystery spot. We are bougie as fuck. <laughs> it's ridiculous. We also stayed at like some like luxury place. And... It wasn't luxury. Actually, we stayed in this place. The Airbnb is called the Little Loafer. It's like a 1940s. Um, little airstream type thing but it's so tiny like oh you would gosh. be too tall to lay in the bed i think is that um, why you picked it so i couldn't crash yeah <laughs> like something smaller nope gotta get smaller gotta get that bfg out of here get him. <laughs> Can't let him in. um so it wasn't super bougie but it was very nice the spa was very nice and very affordable <laughs> um, listen to you it was it was very and we went to the mystery spot which have you been there I don't know that I've actually been to the mystery spot, no. Um, it's funny how many people haven't been, but how many people clearly have been by the bumper stickers yes. you see everywhere. Fuck yeah. It's a weird little place that if you are around town. Um, but it was funny. We went up to this winery and like had a glass of wine, which turned into a bottle of wine mm-hmm. uh, on the lawn. And there were these guys. Basically, they were like somewhere between a 311 and a Sublime cover band. Did you call Heidi? I didn't call Heidi, but I had a really good time. Oh. It was very sweet. It's very. It's funny how Santa Cruz is like the SoCal of North Cal. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting spot. It is. It very, is. It's, it's, it's very uh, messy at night. It's where Scott uh, finished his degree. He was in Santa Cruz. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I keep remembering there's like a, a nice college there, and but mm-hmm. it, I don't know where the hell it is. It's just... <laughs> It's all people on beach cruisers just riding around wearing the Santa Cruz I know. shirts. It's a little slice of Venice in it, Northern it California. It is. It is. What a weird spot. Um, and then this coming weekend is Fourth of July weekend. It is. Uh, I'm going to Palm Springs. What are you doing? Um, nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like your gayness or your Americanness. Oh, really? Are we going to talk about patriotism now, Rebecca? Oh, every time I'm going to raise the flag, <laughs> salute it. Well, speaking Drink of, about 14 beers. Speaking of raising the fag, let's get to BFG. BFG, <laughs> uh, which is our first movie. Um, okay. A girl named Sophie encounters the big friendly giant, who despite his intimidating appearance, turns out to be a kind-hearted soul who is considered an outcast by the other giants, because unlike them, he refuses to eat children. Never get out of bed. Never go to the window. Never look behind the curtain. So this movie has kind of all the right ingredients for a good children's movie. It has an adorable ragamuffin, magic and dreams, so some excellent cat scenes mm. I really enjoyed. Um, but something about it's kind of dull. Is it that we've lost innocence and wonder and all the, the sort of brightness he would come to this movie as a child i think this movie doesn't meet you halfway on those on those points (laughs) so i think you can't bring that if it's just not there Mm. i would also disagree with your assertion that the little girl is adorable oh really i think she was entirely charmless okay uh i think that she could not have been less adorable uh, I have no idea where she came from. Maybe it was her uh, mild androgyny. She was very androgynous, yes. Um, I was like, I did not, I was 
amiss. Uh, I had no idea which, which, yeah, I didn't know what was going on there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> looking at her face, I was, I was, I was, I was a question mark. Um, <laughs> so she's a very, she's a very boyish face for a girl. Um, but that's not why I find her charmless because obviously I enjoy that. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. Uh, so no, she was just charmless. Like she was just this little scolding girl. I'm like, I get why she's still in the orphanage. She really... <laughs> Not very appealing. She, she, I mean, yeah, I guess I kept thinking of the boss when she keeps going back to the orphanage. So I had a little bit of sympathy for her kept having having been there. So we have this charmless little girl, and then we have this big, stupid, ugly giant. Uh, <laughs> All right, who, Jason, take it away. Who is coming in hot? Who is you know n- not that great to you know n- not especially cinematic. Just just, just like just like <laughs> the characters of Takoon. Uh, <laughs> oh, not, just a not, lot less full frontal male nudity not, in this uh, one. Thank have, God. Could have used some. Uh, was just not, uh, yeah, not enjoyable. I just didn't care. The girl was was not entertaining or endearing. The big giant was ugly, uh, as ugly as giants tend to be. Yeah, I mean, um, didn't you, know, you, see so you can't that you can't you can't ding a giant for being ugly. I guess no. Like you can ding a pelvis, but <laughs> it's you know, I yeah, I would just think the movie was just oh god, it was so fucking boring. I found the, the hardest part to swallow was the end. The sort of the third act was... Um, so the story is there's this little girl in an orphanage and she is up at night because, um, I mean, how can you sleep when your life is basically um, just waiting for the next day to come and not be taken home by somebody? And, or to be um, called little boy. Or, yeah. It's well, like, well, yeah. little boy, we don't like you. <laughs> you get over that sometimes. <laughs> you, you get a fine life. You have a podcast. You have a couple of cats and a wife. It turns out just fine. Rebecca's it really gets trying, better. She's trying to hold back. <laughs> um, and then she she sees the BFG and he takes her, he naps her. Uh, it takes her to Giant World. No, it's called Land of Giants. Yeah, like Giant Land. Land. Yeah, Land of the Giants. I think. I think it is. Um, I mean, I feel like a lot of people are familiar with the story. It was popular with the youths when we were youths. Was it? it I mean, I'm 80s. not. I'm not familiar with the, with the story. I think I read it when I was a kid, but I don't really yeah, remember it. I um, don't know. Uh, I will say that I think in the beginning it's pretty effective whenever we're just seeing it from her perspective. She's, you know, she's an insomniac. She can't sleep. She's up every night in her orphanage, mm-hmm. just walking around looking like a boy. And <laughs> then she looks out um, and we see that there's this, this BFG. You've had a very Miss Swan like um, <laughs> thing there with when you said she looks like a boy. Looking like a boy. <laughs> yeah. And the BFG is sort of stalking the night streets of London. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like sort of a reverse Monsters, Inc. type situation with him. Because rather than trying to be scary and giving people nightmares to collect their screams, he is harmless and he goes around giving people like nice dreams. Mm -hmm. And and so just the shots of him stalking the streets at night of London, I thought were very, my favorite part of the movie. And also just in that world of childhood fantasy of just Possibility of like what happens at night that I don't know about, right? And like what you know, what what's out there in the in in the in these streets? So that's actually what keeps me up every single night. <laughs> I, every night I feel like it's going to be the purge. It freaks me out and I can't sleep. But so then the movie takes a turn. So we saw this in three D, um, and when she gets napped, it's very jarring. I felt like it was very easy to make you motion sick. You kind of, you're kind of taken mm, through her POV oh, yeah, as she's just in that. this little knapsack sort Oof, of guys. being taken. Well, pick a point and fix on it because yeah, you it are going tough. to be jostled around during this scene. Like it is 
the most motion sick I can ever remember being during a movie. Normally that doesn't get to me. Mm-hmm. I had to look away from the screen. Yeah, just, I like, took look my glasses at, off. I had to look point. at like yeah, like I had to look at like the exit sign and just like wait for that scene to be over. Mm-hmm. And it went on for too long. Yeah, I felt like overall the 3D wasn't used that well. Um, it never is. That's true. You no, know, the one one terrible movie I thought it was great in was Angry Birds. Yeah, I felt yeah. like you really felt like you were in that animation. Yeah, I mean animated movies, and this is basically an animated movie, I guess. Um, I yeah. think 3D should only be used in cases like Piranha 3D, where it's like <laughs> severed heads flying at you. Um, so then she's in the land of giants, and basically she's just she is. This is where she does get to be a little bit of a a nag. <laughs> She's a little bit of a. She, she was like she was like young Liz Lemon. Like that's what she reminded me of. She reminded me of like whenever they would cast young Liz Lemon in flashbacks on Thirty Rock. That's basically what she looked like. And just like young Liz Lemon, she's frequently mistaken for a boy. <laughs> um. So she wants to go. So then she's there. There are other giants. They want to eat her. He's the nice guy. Um, Turns out not very big. Once no. we see the other giants, he's a very small giant. It's a very relative term. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, she, they go back into the town, and he discovers that he's put her in danger because the other giants want to eat her. Um, and then they come up with this plan, um, which is to create a dream. I don't know. Am I giving away the story? Does it matter? No, it it's matter. a kid's movie. Um, they create this dream, and they're going to give it to the Queen of England. And this is, this is a movie. The book was written in 1982, which makes a lot of sense because it's like kind of a younger Queen Elizabeth. Um, at one point, she gets on the phone with Ronald Reagan. Which oh is yeah, a weird. That was the only time that I moment. realized what year it was taking place in. Yeah, I also was confused. There's one point where they showed like a guy on the street that looked like how I'm dressed now, basically. Yeah, they showed a guy like, wearing like track pants and like a and dad like, hat. I was like, what fucking year is it? Because like when they first started showing this girl in this orphanage, I'm like, okay, it's the 19th century. Exactly. <laughs> I was totally thought it was 1800s until that guy showed up. Yeah. And then it's fucking like you know football hooligan exactly <laughs> roves <laughs> right into the shot. Of <laughs> yes, which was just a bar st- stumbling out of the door, coochies <laughs> after a bender. There's a bar at the end of the street where the orphanage is, and it's called Coochies. <laughs> right, where there's a bunch of troubles <laughs> just happening. Guinness on his breath. Um, so they come back and they they blow this dream into the Queen of England, and then there's this whole third act where he just picture that, however you will. <laughs> He's presented to the queen and they like serve him food and have breakfast and uh, get the military to come and like attack the bad giants. And that's kind of where things go. Um, And that's where it turns into a story about British colonialism. Very much so. Yeah. And but not in like a critique way in like a in like a British military to the rescue, just invading this sovereign giant nation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, that that has not been provoked. The giants were not planning an attack. No, they were feasting on children, which is yeah. kind of what they're I mean, supposed I guess, to do. I guess they were going to eat a British citizen, a British national. Yeah, but she had no business being there in the first place. Right. It was not her place to be. No, they were just So, doing you know, it's thing. one thing to just be like, okay, let's get somebody at that giant embassy and, you know, <laughs> give her a safe place to wait until she gets brought home safely. But to just declare war on the giants, it just seemed an excess. An excess of British colonialism run amok. <laughs> and they sort of targeted, it seemed... It, it seemed a little elitist that they were targeting these giants who were uh, clearly on the dumb side, mm. um, which was kind of a strange turn. Normally, I'm into that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was kind of odd. Right. You think of this podcast as your weekly opportunity to pick on a dumb giant, don't you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, I call you BFG for a couple of different reasons. Um one part where I felt like I am too old to watch a kid's movie is in watching this giant who's clearly like an old man mm-hmm. um, sort of hanging out with this, like stealing this little girl and like 
I don't know. Immediately, I'm like looking for red flags of like, how appropriate is this? Who wrote this story? Is that creepy? Where did right. this come from? What's this place with? Can you really have a relationship with these two maybe, without it being? Maybe that's why they cast such a little baby butch because maybe. they didn't want there to be any hint of like weird old guy preying on young girl type mm-hmm. situations. Mm-hmm. We only see her in like entirely shapeless full body clothing, mm-hmm. and you know, or as she... I call it, clothing. <laughs> <laughs> and she has her like gender neutral bowl cut <laughs> and her glasses and uh and her just generally gruff unappealing demeanor so there was no <laughs> chance of any kind of like hanky panky going on between these two uh, if anything i feel like he's uh, he's the more interactive one of the two yeah no i would definitely yeah BFG i would then? if i had to choose Mary <laughs> right. fuck be cast of the bfg <laughs> Uh, I guess we'd marry Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, that would make sense. And then fuck the giant and kill the little little girl. <laughs> so so then what's the takeaway here? <laughs> Is that the takeaway? You asked who wrote it. Uh, it was actually written by Melissa Matheson, a longtime Spielberg collaborator. Oh, from who, E.T. Yeah, and she passed away before the film was completed. Mm. And uh, so this is sort of going to be her uh, this thing we've been shitting on. It's her legacy. And uh, and Roald Dahl. And Roald Dahl, um, who has his own, you know, kettle of fish of, of things to talk about with Anti-Semitism. that guy. Anti-Semitism. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the takeaway is meant to be. Like, it seems like it's, it's I don't know. It's just, I mean, Roald Dahl was so perverse. Yeah. So, you know, it does, maybe it was meant to be almost a satire of, like, Thatcherite England. Who mm-hmm. knows? Like, who knows? Um, but all I know is that it, it if there is a way to turn it into an entertaining movie, Steven Spielberg did not find it yeah. um, with this. This was a snooze and a half. Um, and... I had only had one beer before us. It's not even like I was drunk, tired. <laughs> Just the one. Um, what are you going to give this movie? I got to give it, send it back because send it back. Even the farts. We didn't talk about the farts. Oh, we didn't talk. Yeah, we set up this whole art, this episode based on farts. And sometimes this BFG means bubbly fart gas, and yeah. that is uh, one of the meanings of it here. Uh, so there is this post. There's this basically the BFG uh, loves his champs. <laughs> and um and but he had the champs that he has um has the bubbles go from top to bottom rather than bottom to top and um when like the angry young scold is like whoa whoa that bubbles that isn't going the right way <laughs> um then uh he's just like well i quite like him going from bottom to top or something <laughs> and like it's like a weird um sling blade meets <laughs> bridge of spies <laughs> Yes, and uh, and so then, and the reason he likes the top to bottom bubbles is because they come out as this big, farty green gas cloud mm-hmm. that like lifts you. Yeah, it's very powerful stuff, and um, and they they have he has one big scene of it, and I'm like, okay, well that was fun, um, and then later, <laughs> later he serves his champs at the at Buckingham Palace mm-hmm. to the Queen and her people, um, and some some kind of just random Lincoln you miss it kind of well-known actors showing up in this scene Rebecca Hall mm-hmm. Rafe Spall um, oh, the woman from uh, and Penelope Wilton yeah, from, uh, from Downton Abbey Downton. and uh, as Queen Elizabeth and Penelope Wilton is given the great uh, thespian honor of interpreting how Queen Elizabeth would go about farting yeah um, and what face she would make when she realized a fart was indeed imminent and I feel like she was outacted by those four corgis that also. Oh yeah, <laughs> their the reaction had us laughing. 
the corgis were the corgis were there the corgis <laughs> were running back for the yes they were the great rebecca's favorite thing in the movie as we all know is dog reaction shots <laughs> And, uh, so and, and you get a couple of, of, of just bewildered corgis. Right before. Yeah. Um, send it back. I'm going to say consume in moderation. Yeah. I think that um, I think that there's a sweetness to it. I really liked Mark Rylance um, in his um, aggrandized ears and sort of... I felt like it was a, usually that kind of uncanny valley of like mm-hmm. realism and, and CGI gets ugly. Yeah. But I felt it was very sweet. Um, I think he did a very, a very good job of being very touching. The other thing I was going to say about his character is that he reminded me of Tom Haverford on Parks and Rec because he makes up all these nicknames for oh. things. <laughs> and at one point I was waiting for him to be just like, Chicky Chicky Parm Parm. You know, uh, <laughs> it's very, it's giving me major, major Tom Haverford flashbacks. But, but he uh, did but, say treat yourself. And I was like, that's inappropriate. That, that was a dead giveaway. Um, so the BFG is out now and it's rated PG for action, some scary moments and brief rude humor. Farts. Yeah, they mean farts. It's farts. Um, and bringing us to our next fart movie is, uh, I've never said this word so many times in my life, <laughs> uh, Swiss Army Man. A hopeless man stranded in the wilderness befriends a flatulent talking corpse, and together they go on a surreal journey to get home. So we went through the trailer to try to find the most uh, descriptive part, and there was a lot of dialogue, and then there was that fart. Yeah, so we went with the fart. So uh, this movie does make a lot of sense, I think, when you describe it. Um, If you're not familiar with it, you're probably thinking, what? Hmm? How does that work? No. And if so, how? How how does it work? How work? How does it work? Uh, well, it works because it believes in itself uh, a lot. It has a lot of confidence and it has confidence in the audience, really, that like mm-hmm. that you're going to stick it out and that you will get past how insane this seems. Um, and uh, it also works in large part. OK, so, you know, you have these two actors who are completely committing, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, Paul Dano believes it. So you believe it. Um, Daniel Radcliffe uh, is, you know, he's. I think the fact that he's Daniel Radcliffe also helps. Yeah. Uh, because you're like, oh, it's just Harry Potter. It's fine. <laughs> and um, so I think that helps a lot. I think that it works partially because it, it does start to feel very profound at times. Mm-hmm. Um, in its own kind of, it seems to like stumble into, there's a lot of just kind of, you know, pop culture asides and, and moments of just like absurd humor. Um, but then it starts to get into some things that feel very real and true about life and the human experience and love and loss. And, uh, so I think that, you know, the movie does deserve some credit for that. Um, then I think a lot of the reason that it works, I was just reading an interview with the directors today, uh, is because of the music. Uh-huh. Oh, right. The, the music, music is very powerful. It's by Manchester Orchestra. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. And, uh, and the music really tells you it's okay. It's sort of like you're watching this movie and you need someone to tell you it's okay mm-hmm. that you're watching what you're watching um, as like as as macabre and perverted as it seems. Um, the, the music is just there swelling away in the background 
of like you're watching like the fucking movie the end of me and earl and the dying girl uh <laughs> that you know and and so it's just swelling away and you're just kind of like oh this is beautiful <laughs> and you know so and a lot of it is a very overt manipulation manipulation is the word that the directors use in the interview that i was reading oh really um, and the, is, it's directed like, by the daniels <sighs> these fucking guys so they actually just go by daniels oh i'm sorry yeah daniels daniels um daniel kwan and daniel scheinert um and like I was already dubious mm-hmm. just by seeing, like, they just go by Daniels. I'm like, oh, fuck you. No, no, you don't just go by Daniels. You don't get to do that. <laughs> I was curious what these guys' deal was. And then when I found this interview with them, I had a picture of them at Sundance with the cast. And holy shit, are these guys fucking hipster nightmares. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... Not shocked. Yeah. No, I mean, they were just everything about their vibe. Oh, my God. Their look, the way they... Ev- oh. I was like, shut it down, shut it all the way down. These are guys who, um, you know, they've made their name, so to speak, off of music videos and short films. Mm-hmm. And um, and and now they are just bringing that kind of aesthetic of, of the way that you can just be a lot more absurd and abstract and playful in a short and taking it to long form. Mm-hmm. And that's what they've done with this movie. And, uh, you know, I think the strengths that it has are kind of the strengths of, uh, of a short film or of a music video. You know, it has a great sense of combining, you know, the moving image with sound and with music mm-hmm. and, um, and of finding just little moments to yeah. really dwell on and dive into and unpack rather than having necessarily the strongest overarching narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that, uh, yeah, so th- it makes sense that that's their background. Yeah, I feel like that sort of is no surprise there's there's definitely like a hip nowness that mm-hmm. accompanies this movie when i when i left it I, the first thing i thought is like this is going to be this generation's garden state yeah um I, I where you're like it tells you to feel some feelings and i felt like if a lot of that would have been implied because they the, they go on these speeches where it's like there's seven billion people in the world and hopefully you find the one for you and like mm-hmm. th- they really lay it in thick about how like how not to feel so lost in the world right um that that gets a little heavy and unnecessary yeah because and the movie sets itself up this way because we have paul dano's character who is informing daniel radcliffe's character manny um as he names him basically manny is as Dano sees him, Manny is a is a reanimated corpse mm-hmm. um, who somehow comes back to life a little bit, just enough to like ask questions and talk. And Manny's perspective on things is just real fresh. Lots of hot takes, <laughs> lots of good questions. And um, and then Paul Dano is called upon to to answer his questions. And you know, a lot of his, they're very basic sort of childlike questions about life and about the human body and about existence. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, and so it, it gives him tons of softball opportunities to you know to weigh in on these things and they're things that you know it's 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 there's value in it there's value because you know we don't really slow down and ask ourselves those kinds of questions yeah we think of it as like a trite thing i think that's the thing is dano and the way he plays it he's very like flustered and very like okay well you don't really you know you're not supposed to talk about like that or you're not supposed to right you know manny's a rule breaker um <laughs> i mean uh, that's a that was like the most refreshing part of the movie right it's like where how do you take a situation where you have to explain life to someone um as it dead. is now yeah who's dead <laughs> yeah um and and down to like granular things like what's mm. a cell phone and right. like what's love and then you know it gets bigger to like what's love and mm-hmm. um the way they combine that because he sort of tries to recreate the world for manny in in and the way he tries to do it is to is to sort of recreate this love feeling, but 
but they go through all this detail to like may recreate a bus and mm. like a party and all of these things with all of these like materials they have available to them and that part was very fun and very exciting um and fresh well, but, but twee. then it gets very twee yeah but then it gets a little over explaining what mm. he's trying to say mm-hmm. there yeah it was uh you know i think that all of that was very interesting and i think that uh you know, it it really is just the actors who bring it through. Yeah, definitely. Um, what did you dynamic. think about their chemistry? Their chemistry was very good. Uh, this is this is a movie that kind of it's weird. You know, it's weird. You don't want to call it homoerotic exactly, um, but you know, the reality is that the two of them is basically a love story between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Even though we have this sort of like this romantic foil in a character played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, who was seen largely just in a single photo mm-hmm. um, on a phone. Uh, it's really about these two guys falling in love with each other and um, in not love in like an erotic way, mm-hmm. um, but love in a still in a very vital way that kind of begins to pull Dano back to life because what we haven't said is that the very first shot of the film is Dano about to commit suicide uh, on a beach. Um, so the setting that we're given is that he's on a beach and he has a noose around his neck. And then just as, uh, just as he's about to do it, he sees Radcliffe's body wash ashore. And, um, and then that's sort of this journey that he goes on with Radcliffe's dead body. And, um, by the time that the movie's wrapping up, you know, we kind of have some different ideas about what we've been watching this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it really ultimately is about, it's about depression it and is about it's about I mean, it's about suicidal thoughts it's about the way that sort of being confronted with death can sometimes be the only thing that can snap a person out of their depression out of their trajectory toward death the the part about that that i that i found a little troubling was that it seemed like a lot of the message was like if you just go out there and live life you won't be upset like it seemed like the character paul dano's character was very much confined in 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 the way he explains life to um manny you know there are all these rules you can't do this you'll be weird you can't do that people will judge you so clearly he's lived his whole life with these very strict rules or has been like made fun of a lot um but like in telling that and manny's like naive innocence of like well what does it mean to be weird and why is that mm-hmm. a bad thing is like um, you know, you won't be so upset. You won't be so depressed if you just like don't let yourself like hold yourself back and like go out there and take what's yours and mm-hmm. live life. And I felt like that right. was a little too basic mm. of a message to kind of be mixed with depression. Manny's TED Talks are, are <laughs> left a little wanting. Are flatulence ridden. Yeah. <laughs> the best parts of the flatulence. Um, did you enjoy the movie? You know, I did enjoy the movie. Uh, I, I thought that, I mean, it's you, it's. To say that it's something you haven't seen before is is definitely an understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's 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 something you've seen before in the sense that you know we've seen movies about depressed people who get snapped out of it by meeting like a vibrant you know other person and this and and usually it's a manic pixie dream girl exactly. Um, in this case, which this was also to a degree. Yeah, and this Manny kind of is that, um, or but, even but just the, as a farting corpse. But then you know, right? <laughs> they Mary fixate Elizabeth on yeah, yeah, and her and. She has no character of her own. No, um, she's basically no. just the vehicle that's keeping them going right. and keeping him. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, you know. Once we do find out more about her, you know, it is at least she kind of has some. You know, she's not just like beaming and like receiving the yeah, affection. That's you true. Know? Um. So, but uh. But yeah, it it's it's so it does kind of have that you know that vibe to it. So you you've seen it before in the sense that it's a movie about a depressed person who meets someone who changes his life and makes him value life more. Um, but you have not seen 
just the creativity and the bold, bold originality mm. um, of the way that they use Manny mm-hmm. uh, in the movie. The many different ways, emotionally, physically. Um, that's why he's called a Swiss Army man. Right. Um, many uses, many uses. So, you know, it's it was, yeah, it was really fascinating. And, you know, hats off for originality. Um, Daniels. And, and, <laughs> I want to give Daniels credit, but... Uh, you know, but it does. It, it does cumulatively have a very music video power to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you could just see like a four minute long music video that is just this movie condensed down to four minutes. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, or like an eight minute internet music video where there's like two minutes of intro and two minutes of outro and mm-hmm. then four minutes of song. Yep. Uh, that so. said, it didn't feel long. No, no, no. It didn't feel long at all. I think the whole time you're watching, you're just, you feel like you're in uncharted territory. Yeah. So even though, you know, you know that there are some basic things in terms of how arcs work in movies that are going to happen, like, you're like, okay, movie, like, I'm with you. Like, I, you have, you have gotten me through the rough part at the beginning where I'm like, <laughs> we, and now I'm ready. Uh, so, you know, so I, hats off. Um, what are you giving it? I'm going to say binge it. Agreed. Definitely binge it. Um, Swiss Army Man is out now and it's rated R for language and sexual material. We're on to movie number three, Jason. Movie number three, which is Wiener Dog, our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of the week. A dachshund passes from oddball owner to oddball owner, whose radically dysfunctional lives are all impacted by the pooch. Hey, Wiener Dog. She looks like you. Thanks. I'm going to Ohio tomorrow. Want to come along? What's in Ohio? Crystal meth. Okay. Nana! This is Fantasy. Hey. Fantasy is an artist. Nana used to do some painting. I pose nude and spread my legs. It's cool. So, uh, we watched this movie around the same time, and Jason texted me um, like 20 minutes in, and he's like, I'm immediately laughing. This movie is hilarious. And I sent him a photo of myself about 20 minutes in. I was just embarrassed after I sent it. I haven't cried that hard at a movie. I was like, <gasps> like couldn't breathe sobbing at the beginning yeah. of this movie. Yeah, she asked me not to share it, uh, but I was with mutual friends and I did show them. No, who did you show? <laughs> it was with Katie and Beth. <laughs> and Scott and dick. David Fitzgerald. <laughs> wow. I, am, it, it's, <laughs> I, I put on the message, do not share. I figured you meant on social media. It's the same people would see it. Like, those are my five friends <laughs> i know you you found all five of them and you were hanging out without me it was just bad timing on your part really oh wow <laughs> i was crushed so i feel like my whole experience of this movie was is a little bit different um ha, ha, the, okay so this movie is in four sections um it's about this wiener dog goes from hand to hand a little dachshund the first section is about this only child um, who has no friends but this dachshund and then um, is is led to believe that the dachshund has died and is very cl- it, the whole thing was like a just a little segment of my childhood were you ever led to believe a dog of yours had died no a dog of mine had died right so, so the dog doesn't die though right but i mean he didn't know that right so so you just felt it really deep inside really deep inside it dinged you it dinged your pelvis have, it, <laughs> right right in the pelvis oh man it was really hard for me to watch that so and see and i have no i mean i grew up with tons of pets 
Um, but I just went right in on the, you know, the sort of the satirical subtext of that first vignette. I tried. I knew what this movie was going to be about and I knew right. it was going to be hard, but I couldn't. It was the only <laughs> child thing with like, mm-hmm. no, it was just too much. It was too real. And, but then she did point out that after that, she was fine. Yeah, um, and I should know that also, you know, there, there, there are things that are considerably more harrowing that occur later in the film. That, <laughs> that was fine. That, that record was unfazed by. Completely unfazed. Um, but some of those just docs and reaction shots uh, <laughs> in the first <laughs> act was just too much, too much for her to bear. So that's act one. Yeah. So act one is is very much just sort of like it's it's not just a suburban satire, although it is part of that. Mm-hmm, it definitely. seems like the joke of that one seems to be. And this is one of the things I love about this film is that. Todd Salon's here by splitting it up into four vignettes just gets to make these four really just darkly hilarious shorts mm-hmm. and each one has a kind of perfect short finale to it mm-hmm. um, and uh, in the first segment uh, the joke is sort of like this idea that you know animals are less than than humans and that we need to civilize animals we need to housebreak mm-hmm. them so that they will be more like us but then the us in question are this little boy's horrible parents Terrible. who absolutely fucking hate each other. Tracy Letts and Julie Delpy play mm-hmm. them. And Julie Delpy in particular has yeah. a hell of a monologue. She really does. <laughs> in this segment of the film. Um, that I will just say that involves a rapist dog named Mohammed. Uh, <laughs> that part snapped me out of it a little bit. I hope it did. Um, That's why I was texting. I'm like, wait for the monologue about the rapist dog. Yeah. Uh, so they're sort of trying to explain death to this child who had clearly just been on the brink of it. Yes. And trying to explain how like death is terrible, but also it's fine. Right. I think the, the, and his like, exact line is, so death is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's so like, cute. It's just like, it's just classic salons. It's basically yeah. about like yeah. how everyone is full of shit and there's no meaning to anything. Exactly. And, and the parents are just total assholes who are trying to like force feed a bunch of bullshit to their son who is just like hapless and has no idea. And that little dog is full of shit too. Yes. And the dog is full of, of and other things that come out. <laughs> um, so then we get to act two. Um, the, the dog is picked up by... Don Wiener. All grown up. As played by Greta Gerwig, because Salons never has the same actor play a character twice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the same film, like in Palindromes. In Palindromes, yeah. That was a mess. <laughs> it was a beautiful mess. <laughs> it was a beautiful mess. Um, so Don Wiener is working at a veterinarian uh, and picks up the dog. This is the only time we ever actually see the dog hand off between um, oh, chapters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually <laughs> the third chapter. You're pretty sure the dog is gone, um, yeah. and then it's just there in the fourth chapter. Yeah. So this movie is not interested in like a strict linear timeline. There's no. a strict linear timeline between Acts One and Two, and after that, it's kind of all every man for himself. Yeah, it doesn't really try to explain how the dog gets from the next situation no, to the next. Not his concern. Uh, and Don Wiener is reunited with Brandon. With Brandon McCarthy, and who's she gives him by... who's played by Kieran Culkin. Mm-hmm. And Don gives Brandon the update that Ralphie is now transgender. Yeah. Uh, so that was <laughs> the great touch. Uh, as you as you heard in the clip, uh, Brandon compliments Don by saying that the dog looks like her. <laughs> or at least she takes us a compliment and beamingly says, thanks. <laughs> so that's great. While wearing a BMO shirt. While wearing that. Uh, so and then, you know, we get a, a glimpse into Brandon's home life. Mm hmm. Uh, which, I mean, we had a glimpse into Brandon's home life in the first movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this, this is one of those things where Todd Salon is kind of like daring you to be like, are you being inappropriate? Are you casting people as a sight gag? Right. But no, I feel but like no. the joke here is who uh, has their shit together. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it has a lot of, has a lot of heart in it. Yeah, um, this the, one definitely is the most The second chapter is emotional. by far the most upbeat. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it is sort of it's sort of a happy ending of of, of sorts for 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 Don Wiener. Yeah. Uh, after all that she has been through, mm-hmm. um, and even though I believe one of the movies opened with her funeral, I think was it Palindromes that opened with her funeral or Life During Wartime. It may have been Life During Wartime because I didn't see that one. Okay. Yeah. One of the movies opened with like people coming back from Don Wiener's funeral, and everyone's like, <laughs> "Oh, poor Don." Uh, but now, but now Don is back, uh, and uh, and yeah, just for a, a, a hilarious a hilarious little chapter. Um, that yeah, definitely has the movie's sweetest uh, payoff. Mm-hmm. And then we have Act Three, which stars Danny DeVito, um, and he's he plays like a washed-up filmmaker who's teaching at a film school, teaching um, a screenwriting class. Yeah, and he's he sticks to the basics. His message and you know is saying you need an if what right you know uh, like what if what if if then yes basically like a story is built around yeah. the idea of what if story structure what and if you do this what if a person gets stuck on an island what yes. if a person i feel like this chapter was the one that was just the most dripping with disdain yeah oh absolutely oh my god such hatred mm-hmm. just pulsing through this third chapter he's i mean he had he's his character had like a one movie that yeah, is being long time ago questioned for its integrity later mm-hmm. um and he has a terrible new screenplay he keeps trying to get right. isn't the title america shmamerica yeah <laughs> So, you know, so he's trying to get his screenplay produced. No one's returning his calls. And he works at this film school watching all these, like, young dipshits coming up to replace him. Making fun of him. They don't respect him. They think he's a joke. Um, The movie has so much fun with with how fucking awful these kids are. There's Mm -hmm. a blonde white girl wearing an I Can't Breathe (laughs) t-shirt. I love that part. (laughs) Just those details. And uh, and then they have like a visiting filmmaker come in, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just the oh the rage the movie watches this filmmaker with yeah absolutely um to like talk to the kids but anyway and then you know Danny DeVito is also not viewed as being especially sympathetic because that's the thing about Todd Salons like as far as he's concerned everybody's a fuck up right nobody there's no sympathetic character no 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 such thing so um in the fourth act we won't we won't talk about what happens to the dog there um the the fourth act the dog is now with Ellen Bernstein. And she's um, just a mean old woman uh, mm-hmm. living alone with her caretaker. And then she's visited yes. by her granddaughter and her, her granddaughter's boyfriend. Her caretaker has a fabulous The View t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, the clothing. Lots well, of great t-shirts and all of it. Yeah, the movie. BMO shirt. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, very great. A lot of good t-shirts. <laughs> such, such good details. Just all these quiet little sight gags in amidst all the misery. Mm-hmm. So Ellen Bernstein basically... You know, it seems feel like she's, um, you know, the end of her days, and she has her dog. Um, she's visited by her granddaughter, who's played by Zosha Mamet, um, and her boyfriend, and they are artists. Yeah, they're they're basically they could be characters on Girls. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. They're basically like yeah, sort of like hipster trash artists. Um, and uh, and Ellen is very mean to them, and uh, and this 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 one has kind of the least amount of story to it out of any of the chapters in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it has also the movie's most magnificent sequence. Um, One of the all-time great sequences in any Todd Salon's movie. Um, And Mm -hmm. Ellen Mm -hmm. Ellen Burson's character has a dream at the end of of the chapter. And we're not going to go into any kind of detail what the dream is, but... Watching it, I was like, why the fuck did Ellen Burstyn agree to do this movie um, up until that scene? And that scene is just just 
magnificent. Yeah, it's really something else. Just, 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 just standalone scene. Absolutely. Like I felt I started to get almost emotional, but then I was still laughing because there's still that dark humor running mm-hmm. through it. And then it's immediately followed up by by just horrific, g- gigantic, just psychic, horrific, horrific violence. <laughs> um, just over and over and over. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's definitely, so definitely a Todd Salon's movie. Like there, there aren't many that aren't, um, he stays on brand, um, mm-hmm. and he has, a, he has a theme and it's, there's just hopelessness. Everything is terrible for everyone. Everything is meaningless. Yeah. That basically human striving is hopeless and human suffering is meaningless. Yeah. And inevitable. He's like Woody Allen on heroin, maybe? Mm, maybe. Yeah. As, as we rack our brains for what drug would, yeah, would most make sense with this. Yeah, I'm trying to drug. It's probably. Yeah, it's like or if Woody Allen was a mean drunk. I don't know. <laughs> uh, because he goes further. Because in Woody Allen's movies, there are at least, there are like happy people. Mm-hmm. And granted, the, the happy people are the dumb people. Right. Like only dumb yeah. people get to be happy in Woody Allen movies. Right. Like you can find brief release in like romance. Um, but ultimately, you understand that life is suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Todd Salon's movies, there's no, like, there's no happy characters, really. Like, no. everyone is miserable. And it's just varying degrees of how aware they are of their misery. And even if they're aware, that doesn't matter either. And a lot of people don't like that about his movies. Yeah. Um, but you oh, do. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> is it because you are, um, you just like seeing that that uh, the folly is for everyone and no one is above sort of, like, the harshness of life? Or is it just because you're a, a, a total asshole? It can be both. I think that, I think that I do love. You know, I think the best humor points out the folly of of human existence and mm-hmm. human striving. And Todd Solon sees this. He sees the folly in all of it. It's all folly yeah. to him. Um, and uh, and I, I just, it's just. Oh man, I don't know. It was like taking like a like a like a bubble bath watching his movies, <laughs> which probably is terrible about me, but. But no, it just, I, I'm just like, oh, yes, 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 yes. It does, like, I'm just like, I'm just like angrily, like, thinking of like every person I've ever seen post an upworthy article. You know, like, it's just like, it's just, it's such a counterpoint to just sort of like TED Talks, to Manny's yeah. TED Talks. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's. That would just, be a good double header to see Swiss Army Man and uh, Wiener Dog. Dog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, talk about t- very different perspectives on life and death and meaning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> one says all is meaning, one says none is meaning. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah I mean this this is and Todd Salons has been kind of you know I, I I've enjoyed all of his movies uh, but I would say you know he's had his last few have been pretty minor Dark Horse I love Dark Horse but it was very minor Life During Wartime nah. I mean it's his only Criterion movie but I think it's not his best mm-hmm. storytelling but yeah I mean storytelling I love I mean, um, I just got focused on the Bell and Sebastian album. Yeah, right. Storytelling is great. I think this might be his best movie since storytelling. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, it's really, really strong. You have four really powerful, well-crafted vignettes mm-hmm. um, with this connective thread of this dachshund. And an amazing intermission. And an amazing intermission featuring a, an original song by Mark Shaman. Oh. The film is shot by Ed Lackman, who shot Carol and who's been... Oh, really? Yeah. Who's been, <laughs> like, just indie, just, just God, God of cinematography. Um, it's produced by Christine Vachon and Megan Ellison. So it's, like, lesbian power duo production. You've never seen a more beautiful set of dachshunds. Yes, yes. All all lovely. All just so sweet and just hapless. Like, just, like, mm-hmm. the, the innocence in, in its eyes are mm-hmm. just just a taunt uh, <laughs> when you're looking through a Todd Solon's lens. So, yeah. 
So this movie's getting a binge it. Binge so be it. sure to go see it. It's rated R for language and some disturbing content. And yes, there is dog violence. There is dog violence. Um, last movie of the week, Jason. The Legend of Tarzan. Let's do it. Tarzan, after acclimating to life in London, is called back to his former home in the jungle to investigate the activities at a mining encampment. You are Lord of the Apes, King of the Jungle. Tarzan! Tarzan! So, Tarzan here is played by Alexander Skarsgård, and I'm going to make a wild assumption here that you are a fan of his. Am I right? I am a fan of him physically. Mm-hmm. And I was a big fan of him in The Diary of a Teenage Girl. Oh, right. Yeah, he was good in that. Um, is is this more of a leading man breakout role for him? I'm going to say no. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's not going to do much for him professionally um, because I don't imagine this movie is going to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the word of mouth is going to be poisonous once people start, uh, start to see it. Um, not to mention the fact that nobody was fucking asking for a Tarzan movie. Yeah. There was no demand for it. No. Um, and uh, and in the role, he's just kind of, you know, he's he's Swedish. He's very chill. Yeah. You know, he doesn't really have any kind of like, uh, I don't know. I mean, because he was so good in Teenage Girls. So I know he's capable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of being fantastic. But that was also a fantastic character, a really richly drawn character. Mm-hmm. In this, he just kind of looks gorgeous. Um, and then he has like the occasional flash of humor, but mostly he's just kind of chill and in flat affect, and and I mean he doesn't even show his ass, so I don't even know. I'm like, <laughs> what are we doing here? So that mean you find him hotter in, in True Blood, or do you find him hotter here? Oh, he's way hotter in True Blood. Yeah. Oh my god. What does he look like here? Does he look like a human? Yeah, he looks like a human. But he has long hair, which never does it for me. Um, in True Blood, he had that great slick back blonde hair. Oh. Um, and uh, and he wore those like yeah, just black leather vampire outfits okay i don't put that um okay so i don't really even know the story of tarzan he's mm-hmm. raised in the jungle so it's like jungle book uh, part two it, it's kind of like the jungle book uh so yeah so the story as the movie presents it is because uh, the movie has a dual timeline so it has a present tense a present tense story and then it has sort of like an ongoing flashback telling you the story of like how tarzan got to be tarzan um, when we first meet him, he is a civilized gentleman, Lord Greystoke, living in London. Um, and then he is called upon to return to Africa. Um, but so his parents had been like, it was like a shipwreck situation, and his parents were shipwrecked in Africa, and then they died, and then he was raised by monkeys. Uh, and uh, so that's how that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then eventually Jane came and found him, and off they went. So does this movie say anything about colonialism with uh, all it, this? It does in a way. It kind of passes the buck on British colonial, uh, colonialism by making Belgium the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Poor little Belgium, as if they ever did uh. anything to anybody. Um, so uh, Christoph Waltz is the vil- uh, the villain of the piece. And, uh, and so the whole idea is that the king of Belgium is exploiting the African Congo, mm-hmm. and which is where Tarzan called home. <laughs> and uh, and they're they're exploiting it for its resources, and they are also taking um, taking its its natives and selling them into slavery, okay. and participating in the slave trade. And uh, so initially, Tarzan is called upon to go back to Africa 
um, by the you know British government because as sort of like a show of good faith for maintaining relationships with Belgium. So they're not exactly heroes. Mm. But then Samuel L. Jackson shows up kind of out of nowhere in a jarringly contemporary performance <laughs> <laughs> that does not... <laughs> <laughs> does not vibe does not vibe with like the 19th century uh you know sort of bram stokerish look of everything else that's happening um then you have sam jackson being like tarzan <laughs> no nope, sorry Jason. i know i know i know don't do impressions by the races i know i know but i had to um so yeah he uh does not <laughs> does not quite pass muster as someone believably <laughs> of the times <laughs> He's pulling in a little bit more of the uh, Pulp Fiction, Samuel. Yeah, he's 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 not. Yeah, let's just say that he is not attempting to do a period kind of mood. Okay, and he's done it in the past. I mean, I think you know, I bought him in like Hateful Eight. I bought mm-hmm. him in Django Unchained. Um, but you know, because I think maybe because those took place in the South and it was more believable. Yeah. Um, but in London, in <laughs> doesn't quite. He's not playing British, so he's not. You know, he he plays an American man. He's actually there to um, tell Tarzan that there's like slave trading going on, mm-hmm. and that's what you know you know compels him to go down there. Um, and then Sam Jackson kind of tags along as the comic relief, more or less. Oh, awesome. Um, and it turns into one of those things where like. That sounds you, terrible. It turns into one of those things where, like, you go home with somebody to where they're from, and they're always running into people they know, except for in this case, Alexander Skarsgård is kind of like, oh, hey, I know that lion. And <laughs> and then Sam Jackson just had to, like, stand there, like, you know, while Skarsgård, like, nuzzles a lion's nose. And Sam Jackson looks like, this is white people nonsense. <laughs> uh, so that's that's their dynamic. Um and of dynamics so i guess one of the few things people would know from tarzan is the whole like tarzan jane um situation um Mm. it seems it's classic and problematic um how does this movie handle it uh they 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 just kind of present so margot robbie plays jane um she plays her with an incredibly annoying american accent um that strives for a certain you know high-strung pluckiness Mm. um and it's just not great I mean, she, as always, Margot Robbie looks almost too beautiful to even be alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's certainly a, a fucking blood match between her and Skarsgård, who gets to be prettier in this movie. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, they just it, they present Jane as somebody who, you know, was an American and came to Africa and then met Tarzan and, and they just gradually fell in love. And now they're married. Okay, so um, it doesn't have that very... No, no, she, he's not like, she's very much, mm, there's one of those movies that wants to have its cake and eat its too in terms of having its damsel in distress and repeatedly insist that she's not a damsel in distress mm. while she is still very much a damsel and in distress. Gotcha. Uh, so, so it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's not exactly empowering. She definitely plays the character with a lot of kind of like, a, like confidence and, 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 and power. Like an American? Like an American. Yeah. She's an entitled American in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she brings that to it. Cute. So, um, and she certainly has more personality than Skarsgård does. Um, I'll give her that. But, um, we meet two different tribes. Um, one, the good tribe um welcomes tarzan and jane like they are gods um when they return to the village oh boy and the other tribe is the bad tribe and they put white paint on their bodies and they don't like tarzan and they kill the apes Mm. uh so and they are led by uh, jaiman hounsu plays the leader of that tribe 
Uh, so that's what we know about the tribes, but ultimately, you know, all of the Sam Jackson and all the, all the African tribes are just kind of background players for what's in the end, a celebration of just couldn't be more porcelain love. Oh man. Um, this is a movie that especially craps out in the ending, in the final sequence. I was thinking as it was getting started, I'm like, okay, this is, this is respectable. You know, it's Mm -hmm. still boring, but it's respectable. Uh, it's a good effort. Uh, you know, it's solid-ish. But then by the end, oh man, the ending is just so cringy. This is like a this is like a summer action movie. Um, do you feel like it succeeds in being like a hot summer day, get in the no. cool theater and oh be taken God. on a ride? Not at all. Like, I, I don't even know who's going to go see this. I really don't. I don't know who is like, oh, I want to see a Tarzan movie. Like, I just don't know that person. Mm. Alexander Skarsgård certainly, did, you know, if he, his diehard fans will want to see him in the role. And, you know, and he looks great um even though he does not do nudity um the pants that he wears are tight enough to suggest nudity um and uh you know but you also have to watch him kind of carry on like you know do like the kind of the ape gestures whenever he's communicating with the animals oh boy. yeah so it goes into like dr doolittle-ish territory <laughs> with some of that while sam jackson watches on in disbelief <laughs> so you know, so it has it has a few laughs, and it, you know, it has. I can't really say it has any thrills per se. Yeah, um, yeah it's just dull. It's just a dull movie that nobody was asking for, and uh, yeah. So what are you gonna give it, uh, guys? I'm gonna say send it back, just because I cannot ever picture myself telling somebody for any reason to watch this movie. Not for any reason whatsoever. That's a good definition of a send it back. Yeah. Um, so, and I think, you know, I know it maybe sounds like I was harsh on the BFG earlier, but I think just similarly, I just don't know who I would recommend that movie to. I think it's too slow and dull to be a children's movie. Not to double back and to, <laughs> and to further fight you on our, our disagreement. Um, but anyway, yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to be too harsh and do two send it backs in one week, but both of these movies were just so dull to me. We almost got two picks of the week. We were kind of having a hard yeah. time deciding between Swiss Army Man and yeah. You guys should know that it Wiener was Dog. it was really uh, it was a it was by it was a squeaker. It came uh, down to in, an uh, arm wrestling match. Yes, that I won. Yes. Um, okay, so Legend of Tarzan is out now. It's rated PG thirteen for some sequences of action and violence, brief sensuality, and rude dialogue. Rude dialogue. Uh, that's it. Those are all the movies this week, Jason. Through dialogue. Somebody says farts, and that's fun. <laughs> See, the farts are all verbal. This in the, uh, in podcast Tarzan. is rated PG-13 for all of our talk for farts. about rude language. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Um, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Fight Balance. Jason is at the Jason Leroy. And uh, thanks so much. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.